So how will people know that we belong to Jesus? There's a clue, or many clues in the scriptures, of course, and one of these is is, uh, written for us from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And those words say this. Have you got a slide there, Tina? Yeah, there it is. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, up here on the left, you'll see a series of little posters, and they are all the fruit of the Spirit. Love, this one is patience, pop you down there, kindness, faithfulness, peace, gentleness, self-control, goodness, and joy. These are things that as Christians, as Jesus followers, we have in our merch pack, right? We don't put them around our neck. We don't wear them on a hat. We don't wear an outfit. We don't carry a placard. We don't have scarves. But we have all these things available to us. And these, my friends, are the things that let others know that we follow Jesus. When we have love, patience, kindness, faithfulness, peace, gentleness, self-control, goodness and joy, when we show these things to others, our family, our friends, our neighbours, people we don't know, we are showing the world that we are a Jesus follower. Not by what we wear, but what comes out of our heart and there's a big, big difference. I want to tell you a little story about the background to the chorus that was written, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Does anyone know that chorus? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let me tell you a bit of a story about how that chorus came to be penned. So on the next slide, Tina, I think we've got two women there. This lady on the left, is her name is Helen Lemmel, and the lady on the right is a lady named Lilius Trotter. Now that chorus, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, was written by Helen in the left, on the left there, in 1922, after she had completely lost her ability to see. And she wrote this melody and these words because she read a pamphlet that had been written by the second woman, whose name was Lilius Trotter. Now Lilius Trotter was originally from London And she was a very gifted artist and she had a a real potential um, art career uh, blooming, blossoming in her life if she chose to take it. 
Famous art critics of the time saw her work and they were even willing to invest in her training because they saw such huge potential in her artwork and her capacity to draw and paint. Lilius had two loves. The first one was art. The second one was God. So while she loved art, she felt a calling from God to reach the lost, those who were yet to be saved. And she engaged in that call from God by going into the streets of London in the late hours of the night, reaching out, rescuing and coming alongside prostitutes at night. And she also felt a calling to serve Jesus in Algeria in northern Africa. She knew that responding to that call would come at a great cost because it would require her to lay down her paints, her drawing, her artistry, and her budding career as an artist. She chose to follow the call of God in her life. And as she did, no agencies, no mission groups would support her in getting to Algeria. But she wasn't deterred by that. She decided to still follow the call of God to Africa and go all on her own. No mean feat for a woman at the turn of the century. She lived among the African people in the desert for 40 years. And whilst living there, she knew what it was like to be stripped of every distraction of the, of the world, of the then modern world, and to focus just on Jesus in her life. So while she was there, she wrote the poem that later inspired the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Helen saw the words of that early song and set them to music and moulded the words around the music. What an amazing story that is. That someone would make the choice willingly to give up a huge career and success and follow God's leading in their life. So there's the passage that we uh, saw in that little clip before of two women, two very different women, um, attending to Jesus in different ways. I think there's something to be said these days for the power of distraction. What distracts you most at home? TV. A dog, <laughs> right? Yes, right. Anyone else? Housework? Radios? It's got to be phones. got to be phones, doesn't it? Scrolling through other people's lives, seeing what they're up to, wondering why I'm not doing something as wonderful as they are doing <laughs> on a beautiful afternoon. There are so many things to distract us today. So many things that our brains are continually absorbing, whether we know they are or not. All the visuals, the adverts on TV. 
the bright posters, the coloured posters that we, 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 um, when we're out driving, we see them. Everything's in your face these days. This is a really good passage about the power of distraction. Now, it was no small thing for Jesus to be in the house of his dear friends, Mary and Martha. And of course, Martha, the one busying herself with the preparations, she's doing that because she wants everything to be perfect for Jesus, the dear visitor and friend. She, I am sure, was a most hospitable hostess. But while she's busying herself, her sister Mary, who clearly is the total opposite personality to Martha, is just sitting like this at the feet of Jesus, absorbing every word he has to say. So which one of these women is right? The one busying herself with the preparations, as naturally they are, there are things to be done, or the one sitting at the feet of Jesus? They're both right. In their own way, they're both right. Mary, of course, doesn't realise there's activity going on all around her. She's one of those oblivious people who just get caught up in the moment and she's with her friend Jesus and she's hanging on every word. And look, there could have been an earthquake. She probably wouldn't have realised it, right? Or there might have been crashes of dishes from the kitchen, which I'm sure there were on that day because Martha sounds a bit frantic. And she wouldn't even lifted a, gotten up to lift a finger. She's so absorbed in listening to her to her Lord and her friend. Well, I wonder a lot about this passage because whilst they're both right in their own way, Jesus has something that he says to Martha that we must take note of today. We can't be distracted today by any other message than the one that Jesus has got for us. So here's some of my thoughts. Take and do with them what you will. Martha was the one who welcomed him into their home. The scripture says Martha welcomed him in. And she's the one who busies herself with all the preparations. I feel sorry for her. I feel so sorry for her. And do you know why? Because I can identify with her. I am a Martha, right? Most of the time, I am her. And she is the one that says, Jesus, don't you care? Right? She asks her Lord, she says here, she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has let me do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I love those words. Don't you care? Have you ever said to Jesus recently, don't you care? I have. I am a Martha. And we know what Jesus says to her. He acknowledges her frustration. He doesn't just say, go away, 
go away and go back to the kitchen and do what you're doing. He says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Is it a bit of a rebuke? Is it an acknowledgement of her distress? I think it's an acknowledgement of the person she, prob- she was probably most of the time. Not just then. He says, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. That says to me that he's not just talking about her running around at that moment. He's saying to her, Martha, I know who you are. You're worried and upset about a lot of things in your life. At this moment, Mary's chosen what is better. So here we have two different women approaching Jesus in different ways. Both women thought they were right. Martha, I'm doing things for him because I love him, right? Mary, I'm sitting at his feet because I love him. So both are right. But Jesus says at that moment, Mary had chosen the better part. She had made the better choice. Now, I'm not sure about what's happening for you in your life, but I wonder if today or recently or for a while, you've been worried and upset about many things. Sometimes that's who we are, right? There are people who just sort of, you know, sail, seem to sail through life and they've got a positive attitude and even though things go probably pear-shaped in their life many, many times, they seem to be able to roll with the punches and come outside, come through the other side quite well. But for some of us, it's not that easy because we continue to be worried and upset about many things. And yet Jesus is saying, here's an opportunity for you to bring that worry, that upset to me. This is what he said to Martha, right here, right now. I wonder, really, and the scripture doesn't tell us, but I wonder what happened next after Jesus said that to to Martha. Did she go back to the kitchen, tiptoe around, or did she join her sister and sit at the feet of Jesus just for a moment? I hope she did that. But you know what? My greater hope is that I might do that. That I might learn a lesson from Martha to not have to be worried and upset about so many things all of the time, but to simply come to Jesus. And this is what we, what we mean when we say a Jesus-centred life. And today our theme has been, are we Jesus-centred or are we me-centred? A Jesus-centred life, thanks Tina, if you could pop that next slide on, looks like this. 
Oh, there she is. That's a beautiful photo. Oh, look. So there she is. Mary, see how engaged she is with Jesus. And who's in the background? Martha. What a beautiful photo. Look how close they both are to him, though, in that photo. Here's the wonderful thing about this photo, is that they're both very close to him. But one is not quite so close in that moment. Thanks, Tina. What does a Jesus-centred life look like? Well, it looks like this, and these are harsh words for us today, okay? We're not mincing words today. This is what happens when we place Jesus at the centre of our life, and how many of in this room, how many of us in this room can say we do that all the time? I certainly can't. When we place Jesus in the position of highest priority in our life, when we fix our gaze on Jesus, we're being Jesus-centred. When we put Jesus at the top of our list, when we demonstrate that we can't and we won't live without him, when we prioritise being with him, and when the fruits of the Spirit are steadily growing in us. That's how we know, right? We can do all of those things. And if we do all of those things, then these things will grow. But if we don't do any of those things or don't do them, or if we don't do them well, or we don't do them consistency, consistently, or we don't do them at all, then these things will not be evident in our life. I know which choice I want to make. And I know too how much clamours for my attention in today's world. Let's not try and pretend that we're not a distracted people, because we are. But today, as with every day, we've got an opportunity to acknowledge that we are distracted people. And to also have, want to have the will to say, we want to refocus, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we want to ask him to take or retake his place at the top of our list. So I'm going to ask you today, we're going to do something a little bit different, a bit unplanned, sorry Tina, if we can. Those of you who are able to, while we play Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, very quietly in the background, I'd like you to just come up, have a look at the fruits and allow God to direct you in which one of these fruits you need, he, he needs to see in you today. And if you want prayer for that particular thing, I'd be so honoured to pray with you. I'll just be standing here at the front. This is how we, they'll know we are Jesus' people because we love well. We are patient. We extend kindness. We're faithful. We exhibit peace. 
We're gentle with ourselves and with others. We hold ourselves in check. We are good at the heart of who we are. And we are joyful at the heart of who we are. There's no other way, folks, that people will know we're Christians unless we wear a banner and sometimes we can just wear that and it's not who we are. This is how they'll know.